Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, P.B. Hi. I'm really grateful to be here today. I'm very grateful to Compulsive Overeater. I've been um, coming to these rooms for over nine years, but I've been a Compulsive Overeater my whole life. I started compulsively overeating probably at birth, but as far back as I can remember, probably at the age of four, I um, it showed on me physically. So from four on, I've struggled with excess body weight and being overweight and having my parents constantly on me to lose weight and the more that they were on me to lose weight the more I ate to comfort myself because it was so uncomfortable to the things that they would do and then just my own powerlessness over food made it so uncomfortable for me that the only comfort was through eating because I didn't know what else to do and that's where I learned that's kind of how my addiction grew it grew because I learned that food meant comfort and food became love and food became nurturing and food became consistent, like a consistent companion, and I just, over time, developed this really intense relationship with food, and then a really negative, intense relationship with my body, and myself, and other people, so the closer I got to food, the less everything else mattered, or took up any space in my life, because it just became about a constant food obsession, and fantasies about what I was going to eat and completely being cut off from other people. So it progressed. It kept getting worse over the years. And then probably um, when I was like 9 or 10, I started dieting. That was when I started dieting because, you know, my parents were still on me about my body weight and I didn't know what to do and didn't have any tools. And my tools, I jokingly say, were the the fork and the spoon and the knife um, but I didn't have any other tools so not having any tools and then all of a sudden I realized that um, there were other people that were like me who were compulsive overeaters and who wanted to lose weight and I became really good friends with all of them but we would binge all the time and we wouldn't lose any weight so I had like my binge buddies and all of my really good friends had well stocked pantries like that was the thing growing up for me is my friends were always my binge buddies and people that I would go and like spend hours doing I don't even know what we were doing because I was pretty checked out most of the time that I was doing anything in my life I wasn't present and then um, the diets never really worked but it became more hopeless for me because I kept failing at all these different things that I set out to do I kept failing I would try to lose weight of course it didn't work or maybe it would work for a little bit but it didn't last and you know all the other things became worse, like family relationships became worse, friend relationships became worse because all my friendships were based around compulsive overeating. I don't even know how I managed to get through school, but I actually did okay in school. Um, and then I realized that like food is a drug for me and I can do anything on food. So maybe school is one of those things, that it would be like studying and eating and studying and eating. So that was that's how I did that. And all of a sudden it just... I don't know, it got to a point where I knew this wasn't working. I started getting outside help, but that didn't even really work. It wasn't very consistent for me because this disease is threefold. It's spiritual, it's physical, 
and it's emotional. And so getting one of those three things worked on isn't going to make it complete because those two other things are still going to be, you know, progressively worse. And in 1997, so about 12 years ago, I lost my dad. And when I lost my dad, I didn't have any tools to deal with that. And I was filled with grief. And I was really young and just and the oldest of three kids and didn't know what was going on. And people kept bringing food and I kept eating it. And I gained like 50 pounds in one year. I think most of it I gained in the first three months. And then I just kept getting gaining more weight. And I kind of gave up. I was like, I don't, you know, this is the way I look. I don't really care. And I really just kept hating what I look like. And all my life, I, I, I really honestly believe that if I was thin, my life would be better. That if I was thin, then I would have all the things that I had wanted in my life. And, you know, <laughs> my parents would try to bargain with me, like, to get me to lose weight. So they kind of taught me those things. Like, those were their promises. You know, if you lose weight... We'll do this for you. If you lose weight, and like none of that ever worked because it wasn't something that I could, it was a disease. I couldn't wish it away. I couldn't will it away. I couldn't diet it away. I couldn't do any of those things. It was, it, I needed a program. And um, so lost my dad, gained all this weight. I stopped weighing myself at 175 pounds, and I think I got a little above that, but I really don't know because I just stopped. I gave up. And I remember my mom saying, well, you know, why don't you try some liposuction? And I was like, you know, if I'm not, I've gained and lost weight before. Like, I know how to lose weight. If I really wanted to lose weight, I would do it. But I just didn't want to do it. And I thought, if I can't do this naturally, then it's not going to happen. I don't care anymore. I had given, I had reached my bottom and completely given up. And, like, that's the way it was going to be. And the thing that happened was I saw somebody in grad school go from, I think, 240 pounds to 134 pounds in, you know, from our first year to, like, the middle of the third year, the beginning of the third year. And I asked her what she did because I thought, well, maybe there's something. Because look at them. She looked amazing. And not only did she look amazing, she was clear-eyed and she was focused and she she had serenity. That was amazing. And she had this, like, amazing energy, too. So she told me about OA. I'd never heard about it before. And I tried going to some meetings, but I didn't know the difference between OA and HAL. So I ended up going to HAL meetings because that's what came up when I, you know, when I 401'd it. And the HAL meetings felt like a diet to me. I couldn't do it. I can't follow. Because I've done so much of that, I cannot. I don't have another diet in me. I cannot follow any more food plans. And I didn't go, I went to a few meetings and then I didn't go back. And then, again, in grad school, we had to go sit in on other 12-step meetings. And I ended up going to a, an AA meeting, which I loved. It was a women's AA meeting. And I really wanted to stay at that meeting. I really loved that meeting. That, like, the women were amazing. And I, want, I felt so safe and so comfortable. And that's when I got, I got it. I got what program was. Like, it wasn't a gray sheet, and it wasn't about weight loss, and it wasn't, it was a spiritual program of recovery, and I heard it in the AA rooms, and they wouldn't let me stay, because I'm not an alcoholic, um, although, who knows, and one day, I, I'm always afraid I might be one day become one, because this disease can, you know, take all these multiple forms, and shows up in various ways. I'm always having to be conscious of that, so um, they did direct me to OA, and to these meetings, and 
it was a bunch of miracles happening all at once because right before that I had gone to a friend's house and it was a group of people from high school that had gotten together and they were talking about all these different events they had gone to and all these things that I couldn't remember a single one of them. And they're like, but you're in the pictures. And I was like, I don't remember any of it. I couldn't remember any of it. And then it just, that's when it, like, so right before that, that had happened. And then I went to my meeting and I saw this person whose house we were at, at the meeting. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I realized, like, those were my blackouts. Like, I don't have memories of most of my life because I was never present. I was constantly checked out. And... Food is a great um, anesthetic, you know, it really, like, works to numb you out. And, you know, it just, my disease just kept getting worse. So, when I got into OA the second time around, in, into these rooms, into this program, I got a sponsor right away. This person also kind of guided me, told me who to talk to, how to make calls, what abstinence was, and really guided me through the program. And I'm very grateful, very, very grateful for that because... It could be really overwhelming to come in and have to learn a whole new lingo and what are the steps and what is abstinence and what's what's serenity, what's letting go. Like, letting go. I had never even, I'm like, what's letting go? That was an amazing thing to learn about letting go because I did not realize how much I was holding on to and how much I was self-willing. My disease is such a disease of self-will. And my disease, I, I, and I say this at every share, my disease wants me to be alone, miserable, and dead. And if it's up to my disease, it will have me alone, miserable, and dead. I mean, even today, today I was thinking, uh, I, was, I did another service thing this, earlier today, and then I was thinking about sharing this meeting, and I thought, well, I'm a fraud. I don't have anything to share. I, I, I haven't done this, and I haven't done that, and I don't look like this, and I don't, what if, I'm a fraud. And then I realized, well, that's my disease. And so now I have better recognition of what my disease is, and I can start intervening on that or making a call and having the person on the other end of the phone intervene on that, you know, because it's been nine years, and my disease will still try to kill me. I mean, it will. It, it'll be slow. It, it could, it's very insidious, and it just comes in and starts doing its thing. And so... I did the program right away when I got back into the rooms, into this program, got a sponsor and did the steps and did all of it, and it was amazing. And I started to have some physical recovery, and I started going to another program and doing this program and the other program at the same time because my sponsor really encouraged me to deal with all the parent stuff in the other program. And I I started, my disease told me that I was losing more weight going to the other program than this one because all the things that were making me eat I was addressing in this other program so I didn't go to as many of these meetings and this is just part of my story I didn't go to as many of these meetings because again it's like that it's finding that diet that perfect thing whether it's another program I mean in this case it happened to be another program that I thought was going to cure me but I really wanted that cure I really wanted any reason not to come to these meetings um, so I didn't come to as many I still kept coming and I still had a sponsor but my program got weaker, my self-will got stronger, and my disease kept growing, obviously. And I got a new job, and when I got this new job, this was about three years ago, um, even though I had all of this physical recovery, I didn't have the emotional and spiritual recovery in this program. I was still using this other program as a weight loss mechanism. I wasn't growing spiritually um, like I needed to to keep up with the weight loss and I'd lost a lot of weight 
And so I, I, I broke my abstinence and I relapsed. And part of my abstinence, at the t- and it still is, part of my abstinence is not eating meals alone in front of the TV. And I was traveling. This is I just started this new job. I was in a hotel. I was preparing my food and just so uncomfortable with all the feelings and all the newness and all the changes in my life. And it's almost like... I didn't. Ha- this is six years into my program here. It's almost like I didn't have anything, no time at all, because it takes just like two seconds for the food to get back in, and then it's like life is over. Um, gratefully, I called my sponsor right then. I mean, like, you know, it wasn't like a long relapse, but my head wasn't good for a long time. So even though my food and my abstinence got kind of back on track, my head was still in relapse mode. And it's taken a long time to get that cleared up because I, again, it was like the disease had snuck in and wanted to kill me. And I've had to, in the last three years, build a stronger spiritual program. And that was hard for me to understand because I don't know how God directly works in my life, but I've had to have a new definition of what God is and a new perception of what a higher power does in my life. And, you know, higher power may be talking to somebody at a meeting. It may be speaking at a meeting or listening to other people's shares at a meeting. It may be the group coming together. Higher power works differently in my life today. It's not like this one entity in my life that controls things and runs things from up there. It's just a way to make things flow. So for me, higher power is the flow. And really showing up higher power gets me to show up at places because I don't if it was up to me I wouldn't come I would think that I'm a fraud I have nothing to share and I wouldn't know what to say and I'd be too self-conscious and really in my self-will and I wouldn't want to show up and my higher power makes me show up which is incredible and I'm so grateful for that um My higher power also brings the people that I need into my life. And that's not my doing. That's never my doing. Because whenever I've tried to contrive to bring anyone into my life or force it or or make it happen, it has never worked. Um, But my higher power always, always brings the right people, the recovery that I need, the sponsor. I just started working with a new sponsor um, recently and started working the steps again. And I'm treating myself like a newcomer because I, I am. I mean, I think I'm a newcomer every day. I don't know that you ever become like an old timer. I think this, for me, this disease is as fresh today as it was nine years ago. I don't know that. I mean, I just keep showing up, so I know that if I keep coming to meetings and I keep if I keep calling people and I keep working the steps, that's what I have to do. But like, I don't have I don't have this licked. I don't have I don't have any power, any more power over food that today that I did nine years ago or ten years ago or twenty years ago. I just show up and do the spiritual principles, practice the spiritual principles. I'm honest, I'm open, I'm willing, I'm of service. I I learn how to share and interact with other people. I do what I can to maintain my spiritual connection on a daily basis. I make calls, I practice, I use the tools, I work the steps. I read literature, um, I journal, and if there's anything going on that makes me think that I'm hungry and I need to eat, then I look at that. I don't try. I try not to reach for the food right away. I try to get that pause 
So the more program I have and the more I practice the program, that long, the longer that pause is. You know, some days that pause is not long. Like, I'm hungry, I want to eat, I'll just eat. And I don't think about, well, you know, you just had breakfast two hours ago, and maybe it's not real hunger, but it feels like real hunger. So the more I'm practicing the program, the longer that pause gets, and the longer I get to see, well, do I really need food, or what is it that I need besides the food? It's going to help me in this situation because I realize I want to eat whenever I'm uncomfortable. And I'm uncomfortable 99% of the time. I am always uncomfortable. I wake up uncomfortable. I am uncomfortable in my life. I don't know that I'm really, it's really, I am so uncomfortable all the time. All the time I want to eat. And thanks for laughing. It's nice to hear that. <laughs> I'm not alone. Um, yeah, because I always think that, you know, I'm different and I'm weird and why do I want to eat all the time? Why is it that when there's, like, a ton of food laid out that I want to eat all of it and, like, none of it's ever going to be enough? Whereas other people have, like, three little things on their plate and they're done. And I'm, like, piling on more food and thinking this isn't, this isn't going to be enough. This is not going to help. This is not going to be enough. And, and that's the disease. And even though today, like, I'm not at my perfect weight, I don't feel like I have recovery. The truth is I do. I have a lot more recovery than I know and than I think. And I know that that's the disease. I have a lot more spiritual recovery, a lot more emotional recovery. And I actually do have physical recovery from what it was like nine years ago. Um, and if I try to control the physical part, if I try to make myself lose weight, or if I say I'm going to try and lose weight, that's like a sure thing that I'm going to go and eat and gain more weight right then. So if I want to gain weight, I will tell myself I'm going to go on a diet because there's nothing that will stop me from overeating and least of which is telling myself that I'm going to lose weight. I, I am so powerless over that. Um, so I'm filled with gratitude. I'm grateful for a new way of life. I've done things in this program that I don't think I would have ever been able to do. I have met people in these rooms that have taken me to places that I, who've, who've shown me parts of myself that I would have never been able to love and accept, and I have been able to love and accept those parts of myself because these people were able to do that with me. And these people helped me do things without the food. You know, like when I was able to study and, and, and do well in school with the food, I was able to do even more abstinently than I ever did with the food. I mean, because I was clear and I had serenity and I had, like, I, I could focus. And I remember things and I'm present in my relationships and I'm present in my life and I'm present with myself. You know, I, I need to constantly check in with myself. The fact that I know now that I want to eat because I'm uncomfortable, I didn't even know that that's why. I mean, you know, I had no idea. I just thought that I was hungry all the time. It wasn't because I was uncomfortable or any of I, I had no clue and no way of checking in. So I know that now. I know how to touch base with what's going on internally and then get the right tool that I need to help me with whatever that is so that it's not food, it's not um acting out, because it could be acting out not just with the food, it could be any sort of other behaviors, or just not showing up, not taking care of myself, not coming to meetings. Um, the other day I was, I started a third program, so now I'm in three, and the other day I called one of my fellows and talking about how I hate them, how it feels like it's all about meetings all the time, and she said, well, you know, if you're a diabetic, then 
you're going to hate having to take insulin, but if you want to stay alive and you want to live, you're going to have to take that insulin. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, so I still show up because I need my, this is my insulin. I have not found an easier, softer way that works or that lasts or that gives me the serenity that I need to live my life as much as this program has. This program has really helped me do the things that I need to do and given me the tools to get get through life without food. I mean, I, it does not work for me to have a love affair with food because I, sometimes I feel like that's what I have. I have such a deep connection with food above and beyond anything else that it's like I really need the program tools and the people to kind of pry me away from the the disease and the food. Um, as far as the spiritual part of the program, I do my prayer daily. I do meditation every once in a while. I'm not consistent with that. I definitely need to develop more of that. And then just showing up and being a service and doing things, taking a lot of contrary action. That, I think, has worked so well for me. Because if it's up to me, I won't want to do anything. I'm selfish. I'm self-absorbed. I don't want to show up. But I take contrary action. And so for the last nine years, I've taken contrary action, and I've done all of the things in my life that I, I still, I think, are miracles, and I can't believe that I've been able to do all this and um, show up. And the relationships that I have in my life are amazing. I can't even, that to me is hard to believe as well. But I still do it, and I've been able to do it abstinently. And I got abstinent, I, even though I did my relapse, I got abstinent, back into my abstinence right away. Um, so it's been just over three years that I've been back in abstinence, and I, you know, if you can avoid relapse, I'd say it's, please avoid it. It's much harder to get back into abstinence um, than to just stay abstinent the whole time. Uh, and I, so I just keep showing up and keep working my program, and I think I'm done. So we can open it up for questions. So the question is, how do I define my higher power? That's a really good question, and it's hard for me to answer right now because I just redid step one, and I am not on step two, and I want my step two. I need to come up with a whole new image of my higher power. But so far, what I've maintained in all of this in the last nine years is that my higher power wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. And so my higher power is the antidote of my disease. So I, my higher power helps me when I don't want to, helps me when my disease is strong. I don't want to do any of those things, but my higher power gets me into the rooms and into my life and into my relationships. So for now, that's what's going on until I move to the next step. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm back for relapse too. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been around a long time, and I am struggling with what the nutritionists say that have the degrees and have done a lot of research in the field about sugar, uh, and what some of the food schools out there, like Weight Watchers, say, and what um, OA people say about sugar. Will you make a comment about refined sugar? Um, so my, the question is, will I make a comment about refined sugar? Um, I don't have an opinion on refined sugar. Part of my abstinence, you know, and the road gets narrow, narrower in abstinence. 
sugar was never my thing, but I found a couple years, maybe like within a year into program that I don't really need to be eating desserts. I mean, there's no nutritional value in desserts. I don't, all I'm getting is, is extra fat and calories. And so I put that on my abstinence list. So I don't eat, I don't eat desserts. Um, but again, I'm not a, sh- I'm not a sugar person. So it wasn't hard for me to give that up. Um, I just felt like I didn't need it. I'm going to leave it out. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the official policy is on sugar. People make up their own abstinence. They do. And I know for some people it's a lot harder to give up. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in moderation and being able to do things in moderation. And there are some things I'll probably never be able to do in moderation. And I've been abstaining from them for nine years. So even though I broke my absence, I never went back to those foods. For me, it was the behavior. It was watching TV and eating my meal in front of the TV alone. That was the behavior that broke my abstinence. But I didn't go back because I know if I ever go back to those foods, it will be like the floodgates will be open. I will not be able to stop certain foods. I binged on them so much and had so I've had enough of those foods to last me a lifetime. Like I've, I've had enough. I can't ever eat those again. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about your food plan and what that is? Um, my food plan is, I don't really have, I have an abstinence of foods that I don't partake in and behaviors that I don't partake in. So I don't want to name all the different foods that I don't eat, but that's just, they just don't work with my body. My, you know, I forgot to say that this is a disease of, you know, it's an allergy of the body and, and obsession of the mind. So I definitely have allergies to certain things where even if I'm full, I will want to keep eating more and more and more, and that's the allergy. That's the allergic part. I can't eat certain things like a normal person, and I will obsess. Like, my mind will be constantly on it all the time. Um, so as far as abstinence, those are the foods. And then the behaviors are, you know, no eating alone in the car. Because again, I'll just—it's hiding, it's secretive, so I don't do it. Um, and these are things that my sponsor and I had come up with: no eating meals alone in front of the TV. When I was working in an office setting, no free meals at work, no free food at work. If it was a meal, like they brought lunch in, then I could make my meal and that would be fine. But you know, like the pretzels and the chocolates and the this and that—those were not for me. If I wanted it, I could go out and buy it. And I never did, because I never wanted that much. It was more of that impulse, like, oh, there's a pretzel, let me go have it. Whatever it was, I'd want to go and have my hands in it, so I don't do that. Um, if I was at a buffet, I could have whatever I wanted, but except for two items. So I had to be conscious at a buffet to pick whatever I wanted, but there were two things I was not allowed to have on that table. And that is really hard for somebody who wants to have everything, to say, okay, well, I can have whatever I want, but except for two things. Um, and then, you know, other things that have come and gone over the last nine years. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, do you know the daily day, everyday stresses as they accumulate? Um, how did you, in your early uh, abstinence, deal with that? And in my early abstinence, yeah. I was so new and so grateful to have found OA that that itself 
relieved a lot of my stress. Like it was helpful to have a fellowship and a program and go to meetings. That relieved my stress. So it's like whatever was going on in my life, being new, made it easier to say to to have a place to go with and get support and 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 take in whatever was going on and talk to my sponsor or talk to fellows. It's not being new anymore that makes it harder because you think you kind of know how to deal with life and you kind of got it or that shouldn't be as stressful because you now know how to let it go. (laughs) But it's so amazing how quickly you take your will back or how quickly I take my will back even though I know that doesn't work. I still do it. So I think later on it was harder. Then it became more stressful because I kept thinking... I kept confusing my will with God's will. That's what happened. And it became more stressful. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit about how um, you know, the disease can kind of morph into other diseases. Mm-hmm. And you have to be careful mm-hmm. of that happening. And I mean, how do you, I feel that part of that for me, the hard part is the letting go part maybe, or the obsession and how do you kind of curb that from happening when you feel it going into other areas? No. <laughs> Sorry, what do you mean? You, were, you said that you had to watch to make sure that it didn't, like, the disease would take over in another way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And so how, how do you watch that? I think being honest with the people who are in your like on your team, your sponsor, the fellows that you work with, and yourself, and in prayer and meditation and your writing. I mean, just watching for it in that area. Um, the newest program that I just joined, I heard about seven years ago and didn't go. <laughs> and it's taken me seven years to get there because I had to hit a bottom in that too and say and finally surrender. Um, so sometimes it just you have to be open. You have to be honest and willing. For me, it was just being open, honest, and willing. And when I'm not, when I'm hiding or being secretive or thinking that I could, that I really can do this, then I know I'm in trouble because I can't. Yeah. You talked about being in discomfort, or I don't know if that's the word you used. You said something about 99, 95 percent of the time you're. Uncomfortable or something like that? Mm-hmm. Exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. Have you found any serenity from the 99.5%? Yeah. yeah. 99. Wh- have I found serenity? I mean, are you still waking up the 99% of the time? Yes. Okay, so the tools that I use when I'm uncomfortable is when I wake up and I'm uncomfortable, I read a little OA reader or I journal or I get on my knees and pray um, or. Sometimes I get to sit in the discomfort until something happens to shift it. So having to get used to discomfort without eating, Um, talking to other people in program, going to meetings, sitting with more discomfort, learning to be in the discomfort I think has been the tool that I've needed to work on the most and being okay with that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I just meant that as you've gone further and further in OA, have you woken up and maybe you're 87% of the time Has it like kind of subsided more as you go in OA, or is it just like, oh, it's always going to be 99% discomfort and I'm just better at dealing with it? That was kind of my question, but 
Some days are better than others, but for the most part, I'm uncomfortable. Um, well, I have them read from the OA 12 and 12 and the big book and the AA 12 and 12. And we just, I have different assignments that I do with each step. When we meet, we turn it over, and then move on to the next step. Do you want the assignments? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we use the literature. Yeah. Um, hi, my name is Charlotte, and uh, I'm new to OA. And I'm Charlotte. Charlotte. And uh, I have, like, a lot of anger, and I feel like my disease has gotten worse since I found the program. And I, I mean, I may be doing things wrong, and I don't have a sponsor, but and I need a sponsor. But uh, I have, like, all this information, and I don't know how to, like, apply it to my life. I remember when I first started, like my first year of going to meetings, I would want to go and binge after every meeting because it was so uncomfortable to sit. I mean, there's the discomfort again, but to sit and listen to people talk about food all the time that I just wanted to go and eat. Um, and also, for me, food or whatever is just a way of avoiding feelings, anger. Mostly it's anger. Like, I, instead of being angry at whatever's going on, I want to turn that anger. I turn the anger on myself and then I start doing all the things to self-destruct because it gives me relief and it's familiar even though it's self-destructive. Um, so when the emotional recovery I think happens through program but also through some outside help. So I encourage you if you're having a hard time doing some of those things like driving or whatever it is to get some outside help with that um, because the program isn't, isn't going to do everything like it's up to us to take care of ourselves in whatever areas we need to um, and then maybe just getting a sponsor and starting to talk to somebody and having some guidelines and having some structure because it's such a vast program it's really helpful when somebody kind of brings it down the size and tells you okay well this is what you do you don't do all the 12 steps at once you don't have to change your entire life in one day. I mean, there's steps to doing all of this, and there's a process, and it happens over time. And you and your you and your sponsor are, are going to work on that together. So I encourage you to get it. I do encourage you to get a sponsor right away. That's what helped me. Yeah. Thanks. Is that time? Time on My question is, do you email your food to your sponsor? And if you do, do you ever have shame or worry that it's not going to be good enough? And if you do, how do you deal with it? That's a great question. Um, I have (laughs) the question question is, do I email my food to my sponsor and then do I have shame around that? Uh, I have a, a separate food sponsor that I email or call in my food to after the fact. 
and I found that I need to I need to write down what I'm eating just to know what I've eaten that day and not I don't feel shame about it because I know that the person who's receiving it is still going to love me and that's a complete different experience for me I let myself have this safe experience of sharing with somebody else the total everything of what I've had and not feeling shame about it because growing up I always had to sneak food I had to sneak and hide and sneak and hide and I had so much shame about that so part of the recovery is to just be completely open and honest and know that the person who's receiving my my food is still going to love me and still and and that she's not going to judge me for it and that this is just a tool for me to see well what did I do that day and what are some suggestions that can help me the next day to make better choices but no, no shame. Well, the first time I did the steps all the way through was such a long time ago that I really almost feel like a newcomer because I, I, I don't even remember. That was probably five or six years ago and there was nothing really memorable I remember being afraid of what people would think and having to make the financial um, the financial amends but it was okay it was actually really easy and pretty straightforward and nobody judged me or thought negatively of me and I had to do a lot of amends to myself and I'm still having to do a lot of amends to myself for things that I have done over the years and so those are living in them okay yeah that's a good question I do still I have shame every time I eat I feel like well, the question is, do I still have shame or myself about food or eating? Do I feel shame, even though I don't feel shame turning it over to somebody else, which I don't, I, I still feel ashamed every time I eat. Yeah, I do. Every time I eat, I feel like it's not okay to be eating. I still, It's still so hard for me to eat anything because I feel like it's not okay. And then what I've had to do is work with my food sponsor on this. Like, I'll call her after a meal and be like, you know, I just had this and this and this. She goes, well, that sounds like a moderate meal. But in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, that was so much food, and I shouldn't have been eating all of them. Da, 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 da. And she completely normalizes it for me. And, again, it's because I grew up feeling so much shame around food, having to hide it and being secretive and having, you know, parents who were constantly on me to lose weight. So it's like every time I ate, I felt like I was going against whatever their plan was for me to look a certain way. And it's still hard for me to say... To, to feel safe eating because it's like any minute somebody's going to come in and either take my food away or tell me that I'm bad because I'm eating. And so th- there's been a lot of healing around that, working with the food sponsor. And probably as I work the steps again, there's going to be a lot more healing around that. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. It is now time for our seventh tradition.